0: In my opinion, you should have someone on the general partnership team run construction management, and I think a lot of people are not doing this because they don't know someone who knows construction management, knows multifamily, and understands the complexity of what we're trying to accomplish.
1: Welcome to Passive Wealth Strategies for Busy Professionals. Today our guest is Ashley Wilson from Bar Down Investments. Today you are gonna learn about asset management, construction management, and property management of multifamily real estate investments and the critical differences between the three of those, the important realities of all of those roles and responsibilities in any multifamily investment. And, and we're just gonna cover that topic very thoroughly today. Ashley is an asset and construction manager on multiple multifamily syndications, including one where she, she and I and a few others partnered to purchase 225 units in Texas. We're gonna talk about that today. And we're really gonna dive deep into this topic, which in my opinion is not covered enough, asset management and construction management specifically people aren't doing it as well as they need to be. And Ashley is an expert on both of them. So without further ado, here's the interview. Ashley, thanks for joining us today. Uh, you know, everybody got a little pre-chat here before we started recording and uh, a lot of great content. So I couldn't wait to hit the record. Thank
0: but... you very much for having me.
1: It's it's really exciting. So, you know, I mentioned uh, a little bit about your experience. Could you, you know, give us a, a, fill out that background for us to help us understand where you're coming from and and Why should we, why we should listen to you Absolutely.
0: So approximately 10 years ago, my husband and I purchased a rental property. Uh, I don't think we necessarily knew what we were getting ourselves into at the time, but we did purchase a a single family rental property and we did both short-term rentals on that property and long-term rentals over the course of the hold. Fortunately for us, it was in a vacation area. So we experience firsthand and our first, uh, getting our feet wet in real estate, uh, we did actually quite well on that property, uh, which led to another property and also to, it led to our, um, extreme passion for real estate. Um, the backstory to myself growing up is I, I, Was on the other side of real estate and construction, and I actually saw it more as a burden. My father is a general contractor, he's owned his own business for over 45 years. He's worked on everything from Section 8 to multi million dollar mansions, commercial, and everything in between. So while other folks were profiting from real estate that my father was working on, I saw my dad you know, grinding it out day in and day out on the other side and seeing the burden of um, ownership that a property had. So I had a completely different perspective of property ownership. And um, approximately five years ago, I partnered with my father and started a flipping business. We actually focus primarily in the high end full renovation flipping business. Um, we found that our renovations were, were not able to compete with the entry-level flippers that were coming into the market, and the market is just flooded with people coming into flipping. So the entry-level price point, a hundred to $300,000, was something that most people could scrap together enough deposit money and construction rehab money funds to be able to complete that price point home. So. What we realized that we were really advantageous at and had a competitive advantage on was we understood historic homes. We could do full gut rehabs in very efficient time. And we had the ability to purchase more expensive homes. So we are purchasing starting around 300, 400, even 500,000, and then rehabbing those homes. So that business has been in effect for um, five years uh, this fall, which we're really excited about. Um, and then moving forward, we, my husband and I were looking into getting into another component of real estate And uh, one of the things we kept circling back to is the multifamily space. So approximately a year ago, we passively invested uh, in an apartment in Ohio. It's 101 units. It was more a conservative play, stabilized performing asset. It wasn't a reposition. um, But it was definitely um, something that we could learn from the general partnership, how the deal is run, how they're handling uh, the overall operations and, um, really learn from experienced syndicators that led us to partnering with another group on a value add property, 124 units. So we co-sponsored that deal and we were brought on initially. Um, and we just wanted to learn, um, but very quickly our, um, Co-sponsors realized that we had a lot of value to add specifically within the construction and asset management realm. So they asked us to co-sponsor the deal and they asked me in particular to run the asset and construction management. So I did that for um, several months. And then most recently, as you mentioned, I um, partnered with another group that I'm very fortunate to be a part of. They're a very experienced group. Um, they're a great team to work with. And I'm also doing the asset and construction management on this property, which is a 225-unit property out of Amarillo, Texas.
1: Now, uh, for, for folks that are not on the live call, or maybe, I don't know, Ashley, I don't know if you noticed this, but uh, Jeff from Synergex actually on the call too. So uh, we got we got a lot of the team here, that's pretty exciting. Uh, and, and thank you for telling us about your experience. Uh, and folks that, that tune into these discussions, they usually know, they are familiar with syndication, but you know maybe they don't know the roles that are split between property managers, asset managers, construction management. What is asset management versus construction management? Why do you need all three of those? Can we address the basics as to why we need to fill these three roles You know, before we step into who should be handling, you know, those responsibilities?
0: Absolutely. So starting from the ground level up, we'll start with the property management team. The property management team is handling the day-to-day operations with the boots on the ground. So they're handling the current tenants' um, concerns. They're handi- handling and um, taking on tour future prospective tenants. They're also handling maintenance requests, um, the day-to-day operations, any, you um, Major changes, or what we like to call capital expenditures, that we are renovating the property. Um, They're they're really um, the centerpiece, in my opinion, um, quite arguably the most important part of a syndication. If you have an excellent team, if you have amazing um, general partnership and amazing passive partnership, you have amazing bankers, you have um, amazing underwriters, all all these excellent pieces, but your property management team is subpar, it doesn't matter how great of a deal that you acquired, because the property management team is really the make or break on the entire um, ownership success. So that's starting uh, with the property management team, then I'll move on to the asset management team. The asset management team is a um, person or persons that are part of the general partnership and they are protecting the asset for the investors. So they're looking at the day-to-day operations and overseeing the property management's handling of those operations. The construction management team is handling anything to do with what I was mentioning earlier, the capital expenditures. They're also managing to any type of um, major renovations that were unplanned. So let's say, for example, you have a storm come through the property and you lose 50% of your roofs. You really need someone with construction management experience to tackle that task and ensure that it gets handled appropriately, whether that's through insurance or paying out of pocket, so it's really important that that construction manager understands um, to whether it's via capex or an insurance that they're working hand in hand with that asset manager to really understand the game plan for that property, uh, specifically if it's for a reposition.
1: Hmm. And where do you stand about um, you know my experience with property management, kind of making or breaking a deal? uh, definitely is a hundred percent in line with what you said about it, um, about property management being a very pivotal part. You know, if you have an awesome deal, awesome GP team, all that stuff, but your property management stinks, then they can really ruin what could have been a very good deal. And and that, uh, I have some experience related to that, but we won't get into that now. Um, so as far as who should be maybe a third party service service provider versus a Member of the ownership company, a member of the general partnership, who should have more skin in the game? What are your thoughts? You know, there should we who should be third party? Who should be you know first party?
0: A lot of people. All right. So if we go back to each component here um, and start with the property management team, a lot of people feel that property management should come in house. Um, I can see either side to that argument. Um, however, whoever is managing property management should be exceptional at, uh, the property management piece. And also too, it depends on where you're investing. If you're investing in your backyard, obviously it's a lot easier to keep your property management in house. If you're investing across the country, it might be, it might uh, prove to be a little bit more challenging to do that. So, um, are you, if you want to handle property management and you don't want to fly out to the property all the time, I mean, really, I think you should outsource property management at that point. Um, you'll still need a property manager on site, but you could, Take on the property management responsibility from afar if you really understand property management. I think a lot of people think they understand property management, but legislation changes all the time. And I think that if you are not up to date on your uh, local laws, state laws, and regulations, that you can easily open up yourself, your investment, and your investors to a lot of liability that you do not want to take on. So For me personally, one of the things that I think property management teams are um, taking on when they take on a property for you is that liability assumption. Are they creating ads to solicit tenants that um, could violate the FHA laws? Are they taking people on tour paths where they're not taking the same person on the same exact tour path that's a violation of FHA? Um, there are a lot of nuances that, frankly, I am not an expert in, and that is even more reason why I shouldn't be a property manager. That is not my focus. I do have an awareness about it, and I do feel that it is my responsibility to stay educated on it, because as an asset manager, I'm also overseeing to ensure that the property management team is aware of those rules and regs, and they are following them. So it doesn't just fall off the radar because you're not a property manager. However, being aware of it, keeping up to date. That's something that you, you definitely need to ensure as an asset manager. I think you can tell I side a little bit more on the property management side that that should be outsourced. Um, but I know that's... You know, everyone talks about the different ways you get paid in in uh, multifamily, and that's one of the ways that you get paid in multifamily. But frankly, you're going to be hiring someone uh, you, at some point. Multifamily is such a team sport that you really need the appropriate people in each position. No one, no single person could handle all aspects of multifamily ownership, especially at the Quantity, you know, at the size properties that we're a part of, hundred plus units. You're not having just one person do soup to nuts on these properties. So I really think that it's more important to have experts lead each aspect. So moving on to asset management, I really think asset management should be an in-house, in-house task. I believe it should be in-house and part of the general partnership's responsibility because one of the safeguards that the asset manager is ensuring is the investment itself and they are a double check on the day-to-day operations the property management ensuring that the underwriting um, and the plan for the property is being executed and i think that someone who is going to be motivated to do that now oftentimes you can find um or I shouldn't say oftentimes, but sometimes you can find a property management team that does treat the property like it's their own property, but that is few and far between. So even if they are treating the property, like it's their own property at the end of the day, a property management team is motivated by different factors. They are, um, seeing day in and day out tenants and the squeaky wheel gets the grease always. That's, that's a life. That's a human nature type of motto. And, If you have the tenants coming in the office every day, a lot of your decisions will probably be geared towards appeasing those tenants as opposed to appeasing your ownership team, especially if your ownership team is a hands-off ownership team. So I really think it's important that the asset management be handled in-house. Taking that one step further, and I know a lot of people will disagree with me on this, and a lot of people will disagree with me on this because I think that they um, actually uh, do not have a resource, And it's not because they don't agree with what I'm saying, but they don't know where to go for the resource to do this next part, which is construction management. Construction management is often outsourced to a third-party vendor, and that could either be via a construction company that's overseeing construction management on their behalf, or it could be, excuse me, a property management team. In either case, your alignment uh, with having a construction manager take on those responsibility is no longer aligned. And what do I mean by that? First of all, let's break down the compensation. So a construction manager is paid when you do a third party outsourcing off a percentage of the total cost of that construction. So a construction manager clearly would want the construction cost to go up as opposed to down. That's not aligned with what you want to do as an owner. You are looking for ways to have a high yield on your ROI. And in order to have a high yield on your ROI, very simplistically, you are decreasing what you're putting in and you're hoping for an increase in your return out. If you have a construction manager who's compensated off of the higher in you put in and they are really careless and they there's no motivation on your return on investment on the yield the rent bump etc why are they motivated to decrease the cost of that construction further if you look at time and any investor knows that time is money if it takes 2 weeks to renovate a unit for an outsourced company why would they be motivated to turn that to you know, half the time to one week's time. So really, I I always like to give the example because it's easiest when you think about it in terms of days. If you have a renovation that takes seven days versus six days across 100 units, that's 100 days of lost potential uh, loss rent. So your GPR is actually at risk of 100 days of loss of income because of one single day. Now, no owner would let a single unit sit vacant for a hundred days. And that's basically what you're doing. So, in my opinion, you should have someone on the general partnership team run construction management. And I think a lot of people are not doing this because they don't know someone who knows construction management, knows multifamily, and understands the complexity of what we're trying to accomplish. In fact, to be honest with you, I haven't met a single person yet that does construction management, asset management, and understands multifamily. How you are literally increasing your NOI so you can exponentially increase the property evaluation. Most people know that within the multifamily space, but trying to find someone who understands construction and understands that and understands all the components of multifamily is very rare. And that's why I think syndicates, syndicators are not finding someone to run construction management. Now, personally, if I was a passive investor and I saw that, okay, yes, the general partnership team is going to oversee the asset on the operational side, but they're not overseeing the construction side. There's no one on the team that actually understands construction. I would never even think about investing with them. I don't care how good of a deal it is. I don't even care if it's a stabilized property, because even with a stabilized property, how many properties can you own for three to five years, which is the average ownership on these properties, where you don't have a single capex item come up? You're going to whether it's in you know it's known at the time of purchase or whether it's something that comes up due to a natural disaster or you know, if you have a fire or something to that, that degree, you really need to ensure that someone on the team understands all aspects of constructions because otherwise you'll be at risk um, for being taken advantage of. And at the end of the day, that is not what you are responsible as a general partnership to do. You're responsible to not only protect the asset, all of the investors, but you are responsible to put in place the best equipped people to operate and manage the property.
1: There's a lot of information in in, in what you just said, and it's it's you know I'm, I'm taking notes over here for folks mm-hmm. on the video. Probably see me glancing over. I'm, I'm writing these things down because there's so much awesome information here. And I would I would echo some of the things that you said, especially there at the end. I mean, um, I. I've been in a situation as a passive investor. Now, this was early in my passive investing uh, career where the property management was in-house and turns out the construction management was ultimately in-house as well. And there was alleged malfeasance on someone's part in there and the company was being overbilled for the work and it wasn't being done promptly. So you have a lot of problems in that because your property management is no longer third party. It's in house, even though it's somebody's company doing it, you have to still kick that person out of the company. Plus the money that was basically effectively wasted on the construction is gone. You know, that, that money's lost. So there's a lot more mess to clean up for, you know, maybe when you bring that, um, on your underwriting initially, when you bring it in house, maybe it looks a little cleaner, makes your numbers look a little prettier up at the front. But the risk to bringing that in house and the construction in construction management side in house as well, the risk is just so high, and you know people don't talk about it. So you know, I, I certainly agree uh, with a lot of what you had to say, if everything you had to say. Um, and furthermore, I would say, you know, I'm not a construction manager. I don't have that skill set, and I'm Confident in saying that many other syndicators and passive investors do not have the construction management and asset management skill sets either. So you know you're saying it's you haven't met anybody else with those skills, but you know for someone out there that doesn't have an Ashley Wilson out there, uh, how how can they get started on finding someone? Can they go get find an asset manager and a construction manager and just say, all right, you two play to, play nice together and figure it out, or what can they do if, you know, we have this problem, how can we solve it and and get these two things working together?
0: The name of the game is to partner in multifamily. So you really need to find the correct partner. Like you said, you know, to your point, you're not a construction manager and that's fine. Maybe you're great at raising money. I don't know. Like everyone has a, a, a role to play. My point is, is that The point that's being overlooked is the construction management side. And I, sorry, I forgot to kind of loop it all back in as to why you would want the construction manager in house. And that is because If you have the construction manager have ownership in the general partnership as opposed to compensating them for for a flat fee then all of a sudden your interests are aligned so for example if my compensation is based off of ownership in the general partnership then clearly i'm going to be equally motivated as all other general partners to get the job done as quickly most efficiently uh, cheapest way possible You know, So from all of those perspectives and why I think that people are overlooking this is because in some parts, I think that people are being a little greedy and they don't want to give away part of the general partnership. And I think that's very short-sighted. I think if you want to grow bigger, faster, it's by finding the right partners. Um, I also think, too, that you don't know what you don't know. And I think that there are a lot of people getting into this business that want a very cookie cutter approach that they can just follow these steps and they'll end up with, you know, a thousand units or whatever algorithm because everyone's so obsessed with unit count. It's ridiculous. Um, but really, um, I think that if people focused on building the right team and finding those people, if it takes an extra, you know, a month or two or, or just really networking to find these people. Um, I think that it's worth it because at the end of the day, I think that once investors, passive investors start to realize that there is no one actually knowledgeable about construction on our real estate investment is ludicrous to me. Like I can't get over that, that people invest with groups where there is no one who actually has any sort of construction knowledge on the team. And in order to find those partners, I really think that you need to, well, first of all, I feel like they're limited because most of the time people that have construction knowledge are typically not in the multifamily space on the ownership side. They're typically on, you know, they they might be your actual contractors, for example, or they might be passive investors because their construction company is doing so well and they, they're not interested in, in just running this. Um, so I think that it's, um, it's definitely an uphill battle, but you know, th- there's gotta be other people out there like myself that understand multifamily can underwrite a deal, can asset and construction manage a deal. And I think that if people spend the time looking for someone, um, to do that, then um, I think their deals would run a lot smoother too.
1: Everything has a cost, right? So you're saying people don't want to give up a piece of their general partnership, or they don't want to take on this additional cost or perceived cost, although there's a value to everything. You know, um, we need to focus on the value that we get and not just the the cost that we pay. If we're talking about bringing someone on as an asset manager or, or construction manager, any either of these roles. Um, you know what what uh, we don't need to get too specific to give people a, a precise window but like what are what are these folks typically looking for I mean what are we as syndicators or what are we going to pay an asset manager if they're taking a, a part of the general partnership or I don't know a management fee or you know what is that all what does the compensation look like just so we know, what to expect and uh, what kind of dollar figures we're talking?
0: So, this is an excellent question. Um, there's an industry standard on what asset managers and construction managers are getting. And that is based on the scope of the project. Obviously, if you have a smaller, more stabilized property versus, let's say, you have a thousand unit property with 50% offline um, that you're taking over and going to renovate not only. Um, the units that are online, but bring back on all these units that were offline. Clearly, there's a different level of work that is needed for those two different examples, those two extremes. And there is a general accepted range within industry standards of anywhere from 20 plus or minus 20% to all the way up to 35 plus or minus as well. 40 I've heard of 40, 45%. It it really depends on the scope of the project. Um, And I do believe that that is a very fair way of looking at the compensation. But I also think personally that the asset and the construction manager are often, their roles are often downplayed. And I think this goes uh, very closely with, I think, what we were talking about before we started recording, which is a lot of people are getting really lucky right now because of the market and they're selling these properties for uh, insane profits, but they weren't really running the properties that well. It's just because the market is so hot And the increase in the evaluation is so great because the demand is so high that people are almost getting rewarded for running properties in mediocrity levels. So because of that, I think that when there is a turn in the market, I think that we'll see a huge divide as to who really knows what they're doing and has positioned themselves in a way that can get them through a challenging turn in the market and who has been playing the appreciation game and just been getting lucky and really not running their properties that well, but being rewarded for not running their properties well because um, the market's just so hot. So to your, to your point on the compensation, I think that the asset and construction manager have been downplayed because it's been so easy to run a property and still make a profit. But I really think in the coming years, you're even more so going to need someone who knows how to run a property effectively to not only make a profit, but potentially just come out on the, uh, in the black, you know, as opposed to in the red and keep your investors happy and the, and the property from being taken over from the bank, you know?
1: Yeah. Cap rate compression over the last, you know, just in this market cycle, has made a lot of people a lot of money, and you know, if that changes, if cap rates really start creeping back up, I mean, some markets they're creeping up a little bit, but for the most part, it's been more or less flat. I mean, we're not we're not really headed downward anymore. But if those start to come back up at some point, I mean, some some people who haven't planned properly, haven't maybe haven't managed managed their asset well, or you know, a lot of, there's a lot involved in there. Haven't gotten their debt right, all that stuff. Um, you know, they could potentially lose a lot of money. That could that could be a very big deal. Um, now another uh, question I want to ask you: We talked before we started recording uh, that you live outside of Philly, and then the the deal that we're both invested in, uh, along with many others, is uh, in Texas in Amarillo. I mean, it's not a short drive; it's not right around the block. You you have to get on a plane. How how do I, how does an asset manager, or construction manager, work remotely like that? And you know, for folks that are out there looking for an asset manager and construction manager, should they be, you know, are most asset managers slash construction managers good at working remotely? I mean, let's talk about the doing business out of state aspect of this asset management and construction management.
0: So I mentioned before that I started my uh, flipping business while um, flipping business about five years ago and I was actually living in Europe when I started that business, even though the business was located in Pennsylvania. Um, And prior to that, to be honest with you, I actually worked in the pharmaceutical realm and I worked in clinical research and development. So I worked on drugs and vaccine trials um, that were trials running all over the world prior to FDA and other regulatory submissions. Like in Europe, it's called the EMA. Um, But long story short is I never understood at that time how much that was training me for the role that I'm in now, and even the role that I was in while I was living in Europe and starting up that company. But what that really taught me, uh, besides obviously uh, pediatric vaccines, is it also taught me too how to not only systematize things, but systematize, systematize things from afar. And I think that is something that I've grown quite strong at doing. The number one key that I can tell you to being successful at it is communication. Number two is organization. So the more you can, a lot of people say that, you know, don't over communicate, uh, you want to have very efficient calls. And the reality is when you take up a property and you're not located next to the property, you're going to have a lot of calls and you're going to be taking calls at all hours of the day, seven days a week. And if that's not what your jam is, do not sign up to be an asset (laughs) or construction manager. So um, to be honest with you, that's my jam. I love it. I love um, being available all the time for the property. I love um, finding creative ways to make the property super successful. I'm really, really motivated by that. I'm motivated by saving even a dollar because a dollar with, you know, a certain cap rate is exponentially um, adding to the evaluation of the property. And that to me makes me very excited. I mean, I get really excited when I figure out a way to save $50 a month on the phone bill. So um, because I understand how much that helps the evaluation of the property and every little penny count. So really for me learning how to manage from afar was, um, it really started with when I worked in pharmaceuticals and I was a a director of, um, global project management, um, and just realizing how to run things and keep people motivated and and stay in communication and keep up to date and lots of trackers making it crystal clear the processes that we're following making sure you have processes making sure the communication is organized having meetings taking minutes i mean these are all things that big corporations do and um, the reason they do that and the reason these big corporations stay in business is because it's It's kind of organized chaos, and that's what you're trying to create. You want things to be organized. You want to have lots of communication, and you really want to stay on top of your project. So whatever works for you, for me, it's a lot, a lot of communication, a lot of documentation. So it's very clear what decisions are being made, what things are outstanding, where we stand on those items that are outstanding, so no one questions where we are on a single item. And then also too, it's about developing systems and learning from your mistakes. I mean, I self reflect all the time, and I look at the trackers that I'm creating, and I say, how do I make this better? How to, how do I condense this? How do I make it more efficient for my team? What works for my team? I like to get feedback from people and and make sure that everything we're doing works for the the greater good, the collective whole, um, because. Really, if if something's not working for the majority, then we've got to change it. And people who continue the course and expect different results are are going to be upset with the the end result. So I think it's really important that um, you really stay on top of everything. And I can't stress it enough. Communication and organization, without those two items, you're going to fail. 100% I can guarantee it. You will fail. So Really focus on those two items, and you um, can definitely uh, turn things around and and start off on a good foot.
1: Nice. So you're very uh, uniquely uniquely qualified and experienced in these types of long distance project management type of activities, and getting into this business has been adjusting those skills to asset management, construction management, just changing moving them over and, uh, and readapting to this new business. But, uh, you know, if we're, if we're looking for another, you know, if someone's out there looking for an asset manager and you're not available, uh, make sure they know what they're doing. If they're going to be doing it from a distance and make sure they're qualified, if they're going to be doing it from a distance.
0: And they have experience doing it. I mean, why would you ever want to, Work with someone who isn't experienced in that realm in some facet. Like, was I experienced on the first property? Was I experienced at managing a property of that magnitude prior to the first property? No. But did I manage renovation before that long distance? Yes. And before managing that renovation long distance, did I know renovation and have I managed from a distance before? The answer to both of those questions is yes. So it's interesting how you don't really see how your life is setting you up for your future career or you know what comes across your <laughs> your uh, plate here but it's it's definitely if you look at all the pieces it really makes sense that I should be good at this, you know? And that's kind of the thing that you need to look for when you're looking to partner with someone. You really need to understand their background and what their strengths are. Um, For example, if you find someone who has managed from afar, who has construction experience, but they're introverted, I wouldn't necessarily say that this is a good role for them um, because you really need to stay on top of people and really need to go after it. Um, and not be afraid, um, to have some difficult conversations when, when needed, whether it be with the property management team, your construction team, or even your, your general partners. Um, sometimes, you know, you might have to say to your general partners that I really don't think this is a strategy that we should be pursuing because of X, Y, and Z and, and give that feedback back because that's what they want you to do. I mean, that's why you're in that role is to be the eyes and ears for the general partnership on the day to day with the asset and the construction management. So, um, you know, just really look at what would make someone successful in that role and then do what you would do for any other job, interview them, get to know them, get to know their background, make sure that their references check out. All of the typical things that you would do for any other type of business.
1: Absolutely. So um, we've just hit 40 minutes on our discussion. I've got three questions I like to ask everybody that I interview about investing. Uh, so let's let's get right into this. this has been this has mm-hmm. been really good, and I'm sure Thank we you. could talk about this uh, this all night. What is the best investment you've ever made?
0: Education. The best investment I have ever made has been in education. Uh, my grandfather told me at a very young age, that's one thing someone could never take away from you is your education. And that's something that I have lived and died by. I try to educate myself constantly. Um, I I mean, there's so much information out there. There's so much free information out there. Um, it's almost overwhelming how much information there is. I know you're probably looking for like an investment in terms of a monetary investment, which I could give you, but to be honest with you, the best investment anyone can ever make is in education. So whether that's surrounding yourself with good mentors, um, always put yourself in a position if possible to be um, the least uh, knowledgeable about a topic in a room if you can. Um, and that's another way that you can educate yourself. Reading, of course, podcasts. I can't tell you how many times I listen to podcasts, Um, and I actually speed up the podcast so I can listen to more podcasts, Um, but really just keep educating yourself. That's the best investment anyone can ever make, and then once you are knowledgeable about a topic, I know everyone likes to use that cliche saying, analysis paralysis, but You really have to take action for that education to set in. Um, Humans, the way we actually learn things is through active learning. That's the best retention for education. So the best way that you're going to remember something and learn is to take action and, and try to get involved in any shape or form. Whether or not you want to be a general partner one day, invest as a limited partner, or if you don't have the funds to invest as a limited partner, network with general partners, get to know them, see what they need help with, because everyone needs help with something as a general partner. There's so many things to do. And then um, just learn from them and do whatever they need uh, to be successful. And I promise you, if you make someone successful, you will ultimately be successful yourself. It, it always comes back. So um, just continue to put yourself in situations where you can educate yourself.
1: Nice. I like that answer. So uh I'm I'm growing in my fanhood for uh for Tony Robbins. He says we're either moving towards something or we're moving away from something. So we're moving toward education. On the other side of that, what are we moving away from? And and by that I mean what is the worst investment you've ever made?
0: The worst investment I've ever made probably just being indecisive. So like if we're mo- if we're educating ourselves, the thing we're moving away from is indecisiveness because I find for me in particular that when I'm indecisive, I'm not knowledgeable enough about a topic and I'm trying to really understand whatever it is and I'm not equipped enough to make that decision. Um, education allows you to make very quick decisions because the more educated you are, the easier it is for you to think from a 360 analysis of a particular situation. And the less educated you are, in my opinion, um, you tend to think of something from a very uh, narrow point of view, a very one-sided point of view, and or from no point of view. You're not knowledgeable about it, so it leaves... Let's. Some people still will make those knee-jerk reaction decisions, and they'll just make a decision to make a decision. For me, I get indecisive. I, I, I really teeter on. Um, I, I just personally, I don't like not knowing something. I really, really want to know something. I want to know all the details about something. That's just the type of person I am, and then I can make a decision on that, or help make a decision if someone wants my input or not. Um, you know, I try to be helpful. But um, I would say that's uh, the worst investment. Is just
1: yeah, wasted time. I mean, not we've all making a decision. there's you know the, there's effectively you know an infinite supply of money out there. I mean, there's more money than you know anybody could ever spend available. But we all yeah. only have 24 hours in a day, and most of us aren't going to make it past 100 years old. So you know, we've got we all have limited time. And sitting around waiting to make a decision, waiting to take an action, is just a, a waste—a wasted investment, a bad investment of that uh, that time asset that you have. And we only have now, and uh, don't waste your now. So I like that answer a lot. Um, and this is my favorite question—the last one. What is the most important lesson you've learned in investing?
0: Most important lesson I've learned in investing is that when I initially got involved in investing, I had certain people put on pedestals, almost like they were celebrities, I guess. Um, Not to the sense that I'm like fangirling over them, but to the sense that, like, um, you know, they are someone that like I looked up to and, um, I really wanted to kind of emulate their path, so to speak, I guess. Um, and I really thought to myself, okay, these are people who they must really know what they're doing because they come across very confident and they come across as if they're uber successful. And I think the, the number one lesson that I've learned in the whole process and I, and it, to realize even more so in multifamily space is there are a lot of people out there that put on a persona that is not reflective of the caliber that I thought they were. And I think that a lot of people get caught up, especially in today's age of a lot of social media, um, Being influenced by really good marketing instead of genuine, intelligent, knowledgeable, trustworthy people. And that is a huge difference in some of the other players in the space. And I'm not saying that all of these people are who are very public about what they're doing, but there have been people along the way in every aspect of real estate that I've come across where there are people that put on a persona of someone that they really aren't. And I think that that is um, something that's going to catch up with the real estate investing space collectively. And I think that long-term that there's going to be some stricter legislation because all it takes is one or two people who are acting inappropriately that are going to create some major change. And I think that is on the horizon, to be honest. So I think for people who are looking to partner or passively invest, I think you should be very cautious about who the right people are. And you really need to vet your partners and your investors, and really be sure that you're working with good people and you're looking up to good people, and you're um, getting um, good information. But what I found is that, and this is the way it is across any aspect of your life, is once you do find one or two of those good people, they typically only surround themselves with good people, so you can follow their lead. So really, it's not about oh my gosh, every single person now I need to be apprehensive about. It's more so finding just that one person and that person will introduce you um, to the next good person and really kind of taking that uh, approach. I think that is a lesson that I've learned. So whenever I meet someone new, Um, just on my own introduction with that person, I'm very cautious at the beginning now. And I don't think I was as cautious when we first started out. I think I was a little bit more trustworthy. And I think that I assumed that when people were giving me their unit counts and their, you know, I've been investing this long and this is how much profit I'm making and I've never lost money. And, you know, I just assumed they were telling me the truth. And over time you realize that a lot of those stories are inflated, I don't know why, but they are, um, and I think that you just have to be cautious about that and build the reputation that you want your family to be proud of. Um, so for me, I I am totally fine with my reputation taking forever to grow, as long as there's never a hiccup. You know that uh, people always know that. I'm a very trustworthy person. I work very hard. I care so much about what we're doing and um, protecting the investment. That to me is more important than, you know, flaunting profits. So um, that's something for me personally, everyone's different. But for me personally, that's definitely something that is the most important lesson I've learned.
1: Yeah, you're looking past the uh, the the public image, the patina that people present, and looking more for the substance behind it, and and maybe more with a you didn't use this word, but I I'm gonna put this word in your mouth. Uh, maybe more with a skeptical eye as to uh, what folks are putting out there, and and looking again the 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 word that comes to mind for me uh, after skeptic is substance. You're looking for the the substance behind a a guru or a, a neuru as they as they say. I like that term. Um and and yeah, I've seen that around and once you go to your first couple of events, you maybe meet somebody whose voice you've yeah. heard on a podcast for a year or two <laughs> years and you meet them in person and you're like after talking to them for a minute, you're like, oh this is just a guy. Like He's, he might have a lot of money in his wallet but it's just a dude so where can folks get in touch with you
0: so you can reach me via email at bardowninvestments at gmail.com we have a website investbardown.com so you can also see our information there we our flipping business is called how's it look we have a website how's and our email for how's it look is how's at gmail.com. We're on Facebook and Instagram, um, both at the respective names, so How's It Look, and Bar Down Investments.
1: Awesome. Well, thanks for the the discussion today. I, I definitely want to talk to you more offline sometime about uh, maybe some of the stuff you don't want to say publicly, but uh, you know, we'll talk about that later. Uh, to everyone that tuned in uh, to the live discussion, thank you for joining us. To everyone listening to the recording later on on the podcast, we do these every month. We do a couple every month, so... Get on our email list and find out about them. Join us, ask questions, come learn stuff alongside me. I mean, I'm learning stuff here. That's, that's why we do this. And uh, let's all go uh, make some money together. So anyway, thanks for tuning in and we'll talk to you again later.